seems like every local in the valley here has a mountain bike. This sport is really exploding. I break the law. I ride an illegal trail. And it's getting away from the cops, the cars, the concrete. Those are is the Chinese are down here. Skiers and snowboarders together on a run, you're looking for trouble. You know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world. The more you run around, the more you're going to find out. I like to think that death is out of the question. The life starts at 40 miles an hour. You ride the chairlift for two or three weekends and you have to go like climb hills all week just to be even with God, you know. Welcome to Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisperer, ramblings from the skin track in winter, single track in summer, celebrating the core lords and fostering the culture of mountain life in the Sierra Nevada and Great Basin. Today's February 29th. Once every four years this happens, 2024, and you're listening to episode number 32. By the way, thanks for listening, folks. Help spread the word. Please leave Mind the Track a rating and review. And subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Got feedback or core lord we should chat with? Drop us a line at mindthetrackpodcast at gmail.com, at mindthetrack on Instagram, or just go to our website at mindthetrack.com and let us know what you think of the show and your prayers for snow have been answered. I am the Trail Whisperer. Here with me, as always, is the Mr. Dr. Pow Bot. Recording today in the Tahoe Donner family cabin, about to be renamed Total Donner. Total Downer once there's eight feet of snow here and you can't get out of your front door. Um, but yeah, we got a big storm incoming here and we're all fired up and excited. And I'm getting a little nervous because we're recording this storm or we're recording this episode at the beginning of the storm. And I'm you thinking, I 80 is going to close. I'm going to get stuck up here. I can't get back home. We. <laughs> What's up, buddy? What's up, buddy? We still only got about two inches out there, but it's it's starting to howl. It's starting to really howl. howl. I'm starting to worry that trees are going to be in the road and stuff like that. Right on cue, man. Mar- <laughs> March 1st. or le- I mean, in like a lion. If it wasn't a leap year, this whole thing would be starting on March 1st. To- well, yeah. Miracle March. Yeah, well, this is the kind of the appetizer. This is going to be like a three-day storm. So Friday is kind of the heart of the beast, and that's tomorrow, March 1st. So here we go. This storm is so hyped. It's super hyped, it's but hyped. it seems so, you know, Is, we, we had a lot of hype going on this year, right? With storms that didn't deliver, but yeah. B, I have to say BA called it. He, every time he called it, he called it, man. And I am El Nino. <laughs> we were a little early with that one, but here it is. It, El Nino's finally showed up, but like he was calling these storms were more La Nina split. pattern. They he, were well, no. He El said Nino. this one's more of an El La Nina pattern with the cold air. With the buddy. Correct. So up until now, it's been an El Nino pattern, which means that the snow, the storms would split. They'd hit the coast with force, and as soon as they got to the mountains, there was no forcing, and they petered out, and all the precip went to the south, like San Diego and Los Angeles have been getting destroyed all winter with rain right? Typical El Nino winter. And so all the hype was, you know, not being met. But with this storm, the models were in agreement like a week ago. And BA is like, hey, just heads up, like, this is the first time we've seen this this winter where all the models are in agreement on this. And they've been lockstep agreement for a week. And so he this morning's forecast, I saw 123 inches in his snow model for like 9,000 feet on the crest. That's... (laughs) 10 feet of snow it's in a, 72 hours. It's a classic example of careful what you wish for. 
yeah, no, we're going to about to get like, I have a feeling and I said this at the beginning of the fall, right? Like, oh, we're going to get a big winter again. And I have a feeling we're going to get a miracle March because when you start out on March 1st and you get a hundred, hundred inch out the gate, storm out the gate and you have the rest of the month to go, even an average month after that, we're still going to be way over. Let's call it. What do you think? What do you think the total snowfall for the month is going to be this year for miracle? March? 200 Two. I think 200. Yeah. If we get a hundred out of this storm, we can easily get a hundred, another hundred the rest of the month. (laughs) We were getting a hundred out of one storm. Yep. I'm calling, I'm calling, what, 240. This gonna, is like gambling. I'm this is call, like when you're in Vegas and you're looking at well, numbers. It's, it's, and you're prices, looking at, it's prices right rules. Totally. Like, yeah. you can't go over, but you right, want to get as close. Over. You can't go over. One dollar. So you want to put I'm a, bidding one dollar on March. You want to bet a dollar? <laughs> well, what's your bid? I'm, I'm, I'm bidding 240. I'm, I'm bidding a dollar. Oh, no, no, no. I don't no, think oh, it's going to be 240. A dollar. No, no. I, <laughs> I'll bid you. How about we bid a beer? <laughs> Let's go on. Let's go on. This will. This is fun. Okay. Let's do an official March measurement prediction right now on February 29th. What's March going to end up at? Yep. What's your number? 240. Okay. I'm going to go. Miracle March. 210. Okay. And it's, it's good for a a round somewhere or something. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Figure it out. (laughs) Okay. There's our bets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you can't go over. No, yeah, it's prices right rules. Yeah, always, always prices right rules. Yeah. So I used to back in the, my restaurant days, there was a guy. I think that, we're both going to be wrong <laughs> by a lot, but whatever. so I used to love this one man. The, the, Kenny worked in our kitchen, and he had the contract to shovel all of the uh, sidewalks in downtown Truckee. Yeah. When I first moved to Truckee, this was like two thousand to two thousand five, five maybe five six, and uh, and Kenny had the contract to shovel all the sidewalks, and so. He, he would also, we would bet on two things nightly. We would bet on the number of covers we were going to do, which is the number of people we would serve. And then when there was a storm, I would bet with him how much it was going to snow. <laughs> and me being froth bot, I was always on the, I was always betting the over. I was like going higher and he, him because he had to shovel the sidewalks every morning. He would always be like, oh, it's only going to snow 10 inches. And so then, uh, we would make a bet. And then I would, I lived somewhere in Truckee where I would have to drive through downtown Truckee in the morning to, to on my way to Palisades or, or Alpine or Sugar Bowl. Those are, those are the resorts I was skiing at those years. And, uh, and I would see them in the morning. And like every morning that I had won the bet, I would just lay on the horn in my big orange van and be like, woo, we'll see you at work later, Kenny. You owe me 10 bucks. You had the big, you had the big and then, yeah. Ford four by four van before vans were cool. Yeah, uh, yes. I had a 1977 uh, Ford Econoline 250 orange safety, yeah. safety cone orange. Eight miles per gallon. It was about seven. <laughs> miles per gallon (laughs) i love that thing but then when gas got to be two bucks a gallon i had i had to get rid of it yeah that's (laughs) awesome yeah if you can't tell i'm fired up oh yeah well finally winter's here i feel like this winter i was thinking about it like i just think this winter was just shifted two months late like if you i I, i'm thinking like if by the end of this winter if we lay over the winter of snowfall from last year over the winter of snowfall this year and we just take this winter and we shift it back two months, it's going to have an overlap. Like, I, know. I just think it, it was a late start. Yeah. Tell and me. We're going to get it. I've thought about it because it didn't, it did yeah. not line up with my 
uh, break from work. No, this is like what January was going to be, right? Right now yeah. we're, we're looking at it's like beginning of January. It's like, oh yeah. crap, we're going to get a freaking hundred inch storm. But we anyway, should have just went surfing for two months and then come back. Right? And it, well, I was enjoy. I was enjoying being I, on I had a dirt. It was days. great, you know. I will say for me, Kurt, this year, uh, this is the first winter I've had where I, I felt like I just haven't been in sync with it. Mm-hmm. It's been awkward for me. It's been well. It's know? been a weird winter, weather wise. How about you? You kind of got into sync with it last week, though, right? Definitely. Tell us about that. Yeah, Swan John and I did a little road trip. Uh, first ski road trip we've taken since the uh, the pre-COVID uh, four thousand mile Alaska right. Powder Highway RV extravaganza in twenty twenty. We got back like two days before they closed the border. And we haven't done a really a road trip, ski road trip since. And so we drove up to um, Victor, Idaho um, and stayed with our friends, Chris, Rudy, Rude Boy, who you met. Rude Boy Shuffle. Yeah, uh, cool. yeah Rude Boy and his, and his partner, Sarah, our wife. They're married, I think. Um, anyway, it's like Swan John to me, you know. <laughs> We're married now. Um, but anyway, it was awesome. We had a blast. And uh, the weather, we nailed the weather. Like the boss, the Tetons had had, not much of a winter, kind of like us. And then up until a couple of weeks before, and when we went there, we got there, literally drove into Victor as the storm was arriving and got two killer pow days at Targi. Yeah, it sounds like you got, what, what's your take on Targi? I, I, I love, love that I love, mountain. I love Targi I love Targi. I love the Targi vibe. is a killer mountain. It's the skier's mountain. Um, it's none of the flash and you know glitz of Jackson with all of the good skiing. And they have a brand new chairlift called... Uh, um, Ch- uh, Challenger, I think, or no, uh, what's it? No, Coulter. Um, it's a six pack, high speed six pack. It, it's where the old cat skiing used it's where to they be. Used to cat ski on Peaked Mountain. Mountain, and it's badass, dude. Like six thousand, you know, or uh, eighteen hundred vertical feet in six minutes on that chair. And I mean, yeah, it gets. It doesn't get skied out that much though. That's the thing. Like we skied there on a pow day, and it was super busy for Targi standards, and it still wasn't very busy. You know, there's a lot of terrain there. There's a ton. Well, now with that, they basically expanded that mountain by a third with that new chairlift. So it's a much bigger mountain. So we did that, which is awesome. And then we did a day in the backcountry on Teton Pass, which, you know, it was just, I hate to, I mean, I hate to say it was too deep, but it was kind of too deep. Like it was a really deep day. It was rad, but like you had to step into big terrain if you wanted to really like, you know, go anywhere, go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it, it snowed a lot. Um, and it was cold, you know, like Tetons usually are. And then, um, on our way home, we stopped in Sun Valley. I'd never been to catch him before. And that was super awesome. Our, our buddy Sky Alsop, who uh, lives in Truckee, um, he gave me some beta on the place and I can't um, believe you've never been to catch him in the bike, in the no, bike. World. I know it's been such one a of bike, those. It is a bike Mecca. It is. It's like a Crested Butte kind of, you know, I had never been to Crested Butte until a couple of years ago. And, um, so anyway, I, I definitely want to go back to Sun Valley, that place it, you know, it, it's a groomer's paradise, right? They don't get a lot of snow, which I found surprising is like, I think on average they get 170 to 200 inches a year hmm. snow fall total. Um, that's not very much for a ski hill. Um, but it's a big mountain. It's 3,400 vert, a um, lot of terrain. And it's like kind of the ultimate groomer mountain in North America. Like it's the place where even there are a lot of Euros. So the Europeans love Sun Valley. They, 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 they look the at it like groomer. it's like one of the greatest mountains in the world. Um, so there are a lot of Euros that come there. A lot of Olympians come out of Sun Valley. 
a lot of ski racers because it's a big mountain and it's good for going fast. So it was super fun. I you had know some, me. I like I like a good unsa good um a day. Oh yeah, dude. I had it's some a coven. brand new uh, the the Solomon blanks that I got from Josh Dyack. You know, with mm-hmm. some brand new boots. The new boot goofy. Oh, boot, dude, it was so your fun. Your new boot carbon. Oh my god, I was ripping turns on that setup. Fun. It was so fun. So we had a blast. Cool. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Uh, so my world, I I couldn't get enough of Frog Lake. So I went back out there last week for another three-day stint and had nice. a great time out there. I love that place. Yeah, it's so fun. It was really so cool. Fun. It was at the tail end of the President's Day weekend. So it was kind of nice to sort of avoid the crowds and not not fight not fight the crowds around t- around the basin. But uh, actually went out there solo and then ended up hook, hooking up with John, yep. the, hut, the hut master. Yep. And uh, John and Jess were there. They were just back in from being in Canada. And so uh, I skied with him and then Jason Smith, uh, who was a local boy here in Truckee and is working for Blackbird Guides. I'll mm-hmm. give those guys a shout out. He had to do a portage out there for, you know, people can pay now to have their their stuff hauled out there. Yeah. Nice. I asked him on the side. I was like, so can I, will you bring a little more extra beer out there for me? How much would that cost? <laughs> just pack but, a couple uh, extra. But he, uh, <laughs> he came out and since he knew I was going to be out there, he brought a little extra food and ended up staying a couple days and we got to ski together and it was awesome. How many nights were you there? Uh, just a t- two just again, two. but I had, I went in early. Like this was kind of my, I've started my new job, uh, when I came out of there. So this was sort of my last hurrah yeah. of freedom. So I got an early jump on my day and got out there early and got a full first day of skiing. Sweet. And, uh, and then skied the, uh, skied Wednesday, my full day with Wednesday was the full day that we had and, and really focused on the North side of horse peak and all that terrain over there. Yeah. Uh, got to learn it a little bit better, but yeah, I love the frog lake. It's just a, just a gem of a place. Did really. you park up at Boreal? Yep. I, yeah. so I, this time uh, we did not, I did not line up, uh, Ryan Fowler, yeah. Fowler to, uh, give me a ride. So I just parked at Boreal and set the, uh, sort of very low, I like staying low skin line there over to the rest area and then make my way up. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it had just snowed. I went the morning that I walked in there, we had just had a pretty substantial snow, but it was uh, a little bit of a warmer, denser storm. So it was kind of easy travel getting That's in nice. there and, uh, and skied the cliff, got to ski both lines on the cliff on that first day, which was fun. It'd been a few years since I'd been yeah. in the, the frog leg proper Kular. The frog leg. The frog leg, or yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. People call them different things. Now, oh, you skied the bigger one. I skied the bigger one. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. No, badass. I got both lines and then skied some stuff off the little peak tadpole. Yeah. And then after that, it was really just the, the all the Norse stuff was 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 kind of really where it was at. That's it was so good. Right from right right from the great. hut, man. There's really good skiing. Yeah, but it it's was great. Nice it was shot. a good trip. Uh, cool. You know, I was struggling a little bit with my knee still, but I was kind of hobbling around Hobble. like a three-legged dog. I developed a very unique skin. Hobblebot? Yeah, I was Hobblebot. <laughs> I developed a very unique <laughs> skin technique to kind of take some weight off my left knee. But it seems to be doing better. Yeah. You know, I've been off of it all week, and it's doing better now. But yeah, that's kind of been my gig. Cool, man. And I'm fired up for the storm. It's setting us up. Oh, yeah. Everyone's going to have a great spring. Oh, yeah. This is it. Big, yeah. This is going to be a base builder you know, at the end of the winter, but we'll take it. Um, so yeah, we got a, we got a long episode ahead of us. We had a great chat yeah, awesome with our chat. guest, uh, Nick bliss of, uh, bliss wilderness. Nick is a core Lord. He's like old school, been around here, grew up in Lassen County in Westwood. Um, you know, he's, he's, 
man, he's very experienced in a lot of different things yep. uh, as far as um, being, you know, for a medic, wilderness first aid, like, you know, he's uh, he's been on fires in the summertime and and uh, knows snowpack better than anybody I know and, and yep. is a, really a, a resource and a source of uh, incredible amount of experience um, being in the snow. So uh, And he's also a ripping <clears throat> surfer. He's he does one of all the, the things. He's one of the few people, no, he does all the one things. of the few core lords I know that I've been down in Santa Cruz, like surfing a legit proper wave. And you see him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I hear, like, you hear out paddles Nick, and we've shared some waves at the hook together. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. So we had a great chat. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we need to keep this intro short because it's a long episode. But, um, you know, with this incoming storm, Palbot. You know, reached out to Snoop Dogg again, Snoop's, right? Yeah, Snoop's been following along. He's been, you know, froth. He's just been waiting all year, yeah. just like all of us for, for a good folk, one. For a good one. Yeah. So yeah, he called in and left me a message, a voicemail this morning about the report. Let's hear so it. Let's, let's What's he got to it. say? Um, here's Snoop. Snoop report one two three. For all you core lords out there, this is Snoop Pod Dive with the sort of weekly mind Z Track Snow Sizzle My Dizzle Powderific Snow Report for Thursday, February 29, 2024. Okay. After finally getting ourselves a legit start to a winter, we got ourselves a legit gangster storm. This type G storm is going to be a windy bitch, closing down the resorts in Highway 80, but setting us up fat for the rest of spring. On cue, the first day of March. Right when all the soft-ass Tahoe transplants from the bay was seriously thinking about golf. Pulling out their gas grills and lawn furniture for the summer and calling their landscapers to clean up the yard, Euler is dropping on us a nuclear storm. There is a reason the slain Miracle March is a part of Tahoe lore. Nowadays, us weathermen like to name storms. And as the official core lord forecaster for the west side, just like my favorite strain of chronic, I'm calling this one the Crippler. People would get stuck in their Teslas for hours on Highway 80. Truckee may run out of gas over the weekend. The grocery shelves at the Truckee Safeway will look like the COVID toilet paper frenzy of 2020 all over again. Will Reno call in the National Guard? Time will tell. Sheer pins will break. All the snow removal plumbing who have been watching Taylor Swift videos and getting fat at home all season are now currently hallucinating on a 48-hour bend. Be nice and wave or give them a cookie. This all means pal, the fat kind, spelled with a P, and an H, and a plethora of face shots at the end. Get ready to rumble and gas up your Honda 928. Pay your bills, do your laundry, cash in your wife tickets, call and sick to work. Sell your soul to you, Lip. It's actually going down and Miracle March starts now. Till next report, obviously. Get some. Oh my God, that was a good one. Oh uh, yeah. Oh my God, that was. He's a, good a core one. lord, the man. crippler. Oh, that's <laughs> the a crippler. In the the sorta sorta weekly. Sorta weekly. I yeah. had to throw that one in. It's been a sorta weekly. He's, I think he's right. I think we he's can get, right. We can get back into. It. I think you and I are both going to be around a little bit more. So hopefully we can really document what goes down here in March. That's okay as long as we're bringing the quality. You know, it's and quality over and, quantity. And we're not getting stuck in our Teslas. Oh my God. Well, I might get. I don't know, man. I'm looking out the window. I hope I'm not going to get stuck driving down the hill but whatever i gotta say i was <laughs> tempted to rake my front yard the other day but i didn't dude i know i i went out on the mountain bike yesterday just to look at the terrain and everything pre-storm like yeah, what's it smart. gonna you know like that's just, always a good idea yeah to see what all the snow is gonna fall on 
Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of dirt that's falling on, at least down above Verdi. So it's going to be like, in like basically first storm of the season, really. But um, yeah, anyway, that's a great fork. That's a great. That's fun. <laughs> Love it, dude. Thanks, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, thanks, Snoop. Thanks, thanks for being on Team Mind the Track. Oh yeah, man, we're lucky. We're lucky. He's he's doing us a favor. Um, so anyway, let's get into it. Yeah. Anything else before we dive into this? No, just everybody be safe, have fun, enjoy yeah. this one. I have a feeling, you know, we're not going to be doing a ton of skiing unless it's like the, just out the back backyard. That's kind of what I'm going to be looking at doing maybe tomorrow on Saturday. Yeah. Just skiing some novelty stuff close to home and incline. Steep driveways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this is, yeah. this is one of those storms where maybe you just stay dug out and, and, and do some simple simple laps and don't expect the resorts to be popping anything. I mean, I think they're, they've made very clear in all their social media blasts that they're going to be, they're going to go, they're going to be having a slow go, but this one sets it's up. Yep. It's it's good setup. And, uh, we got it. We got ourselves a miracle March. Yeah. All right. We're fired up here. So without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Nick bliss. All right, we're here with Nick Bliss of Bliss Wilderness. What is Bliss Wilderness, Nick? Tell us uh, what that is. Well, it's a self-business that I kind of created on the side after working for a bunch of other folks here in Tahoe, uh, teaching avalanche education, wilderness medicine. Um, You know, we also do you know, shoot safety. So like film, any filming or, uh, mountain safety projects. Um, but it, big focus on wilderness medicine, wilderness first aid, wilderness first responder courses, refreshers, um, Avi one, Avi two, Avi rescue, um, and kind of my own, my own spin on it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of created my own curriculum. Uh, I was an area provider, uh, no longer an area provider, but working under the American Avalanche Association. Um, yeah, it's been good. It's uh, I think I'm about six years in, and it, it's just a it's it's turned more into a side project. Um, it stayed a side project. You know, at the time that I started it, I was working for Alpine Skills International. I was working for Tahoe Mountain School. You know, Alpine Glow Expeditions. Um, a lot of the other avalanche providers here in the in the Truckee area, and just kind of wanted to do my own thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm one of those guys that works better for myself, than, yeah, than for others. I I hear you there, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was a it's still going, and um, you know, I I pick it up when I can, but trying to balance that with my other nine to five these days and all the other things I'm doing. And what is your other nine to five that you have going now? Uh, currently work for a permanent job with the U S forest service and work for the Bridgeport avalanche center okay. as a forecaster and, uh, the education coordinator. So just, you know, we just wrapped up, a an avalanche course rec one yesterday at the mountain warfare training center there at pickle pickle meadows in Bridgeport. Or Sonora Junction. And that's the Marine Corps? That's, yeah, it was Marine Corps, Navy. I think there was one one seaman involved, and then there was <laughs> five uh, 
Marines. Wow. And is that kind of like the new version of the 10th Mountain Division? It's different. A 10th Mountain Division is Army. Is Army. Yeah. So it's... These are Marine boys. These are Marines and Navy, um, mainly. Are the, and I'm teaching instructors. So these are what they call the mountain leaders. So these are the guys that troops kind of from around the nation come and take a course from the from the guys that that we're training um cool i see yeah kurt was telling me about that the other day and that those guys are doing live fire and everything up there oh yeah like 100%. they're they're playing war in the snow yeah yeah it's that's it's, fascinating it, it, it's, it can be pretty full-on um i have a schedule that um that I've, I've got to refer to when I go out into the field. And, and they, they have these TAs and training areas, kind of a grid of, of the base. Um, because the base is National Forest property that is leased by the, the DOD or the, the Marines. Um, and so, you know, we also have the Bridgeport Winter Recreation Area, which is um, that allotted... Um, acres, 7,000 plus acres of basically snowmobile motorized access. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I, th I think that's been a success down there with how they've given the snowmobilers that zone. They stay out of other zones, you, you know, skiers play here, snowmobilers can play there. That's what's your take on that? Is that, it's awesome. Good, has that been a success down there? Yeah. hundred percent. It's, uh, you know, we don't have the, the head to head rivalry um, that we kind of have up here yeah. because it seems it's so in our face now here in, it's, in North it's, Tahoe. Yeah. I mean, I think that has to do with the, the demographic and the, the amount of people that are here trying mm -hmm. to share so many trailheads and so many areas. It's, it, it definitely, when I left here, I was like, Oh, I see this getting worse. Yeah. And, and it has, and it has, yeah. You know, only, only in a few areas, like the back of castle you yeah. know, comes to mind yeah. and, a, and a few other areas. And I am by no means am I an advocate for snowmobilers to be losing any terrain in Tahoe, yeah. but I just, I do think that needs to be a, a better discussion on, uh, on, on sort of the etiquette of it all and, and really establishing boundaries on it or more even like, you know, it's something I want to talk to you about is I'm seeing a lot of, uh, yeah, maybe this is going to go into your new curriculum since I, I do like to hear that you're changing things from what Ari was doing, but like group on group dynamics yeah. seems to be something that we need to have a discussion on and start talking about. Yeah. I think the key word that you mentioned was etiquette. I think mm -hmm. overall people just need to have better etiquette at trailheads yep. that are parking, you know, um, Tighter parking, yep. you know, when sled heads and sledders roll up and they have the big trailers and, you know, a 40 or 50 foot, you know, kind of program with trailers involved or you got a ramp, you, you know, like push your ramp back up and make room for the next guy to come mm -hmm. in. Um, same thing with backcountry skiers is, you know, you, you see it all the time where people are taking up two or three spots with one, that should be one parking spot. It's like park park high and tight next to the next guy. So we can, we can yeah, all more people can have fun. Exactly. So with that said, then, since we're talking about it, I'm going to bring up because you, you and I have crossed paths in the water. Yeah. Surfing in Santa yeah. Cruz. Oh, and, that's great. And there is, to me, there's a ton of similarity. That's sort of that that's crossover from the surf world. Now that like, I think the backcountry ski community is sort of struggling with, and so the, the word that I came up with was, I've been, you know, thinking about this one a lot, but ethos. 
And an ethos is the fundamental character of spirit of a culture, the underlying sentiment that informs the beliefs, customs, or practices of a group or society, dominant assumptions of a people or period. And I feel that the backcountry community, like we have such a strong ethos. It's so like, this is how you do it. There's a certain way. And like, there's these new people who are coming in and they're not learning or they're not learning that ethos from the start. And so like the, the old guard is they're coming off like they're gatekeeping a little bit, you know, but that's not really it. They just care about the ethos of it and want that respected. All I, I can say about yeah. ethos is the quote from the big Lebowski. What's that? Say what you will about the tenets of communism, dude, but at least it's an ethos. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Thanks for breaking up my seriousness <laughs> here, Trail Whisperer. Uh, but like, you know, I, I think that that's a big part of what's happening right now and that so many people are struggling with is that, that you know, you know, with the rollout of Onyx and that whole thing and the debacle of people having a backlash on that. And I, and I think that people are having a hard time putting it into words, but I think it's because they, their ethos is, they feel like their ethos is being disrespected some. I mean, it's not intentional. You know, by any means. No, but what's I, your take on that? Oh God, yeah, let's we, hear it. We got time here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I have a whole bunch of takes on a whole. I mean, you said a lot of different things there that mm-hmm. can be talked about. Um, one, I think, with the new generation backcountry skier traveler, there's a lot of um, kind of maybe ego involved, and and people feel like they're entitled to just jumping into the same game that everybody's been doing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's not the same kind of idea that you have to earn it. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, um, people that, you know, new, new folks, new generation want to go back at country skiing. They, they, they immediately take, um, they, they buy all the gear. Yep. They take and then a, they take their level they one. They take a level one. And then that's my question is like, there's a void there in the United States. Yeah. Like what's next Yeah. for people that, you know, our listeners that are wanting to get into it. And like, it's not like Europe and Canada where it's just like, obviously you hire a guide Yeah. or you, or you find a mentor. Yeah. I, I'd say the mentorship, finding somebody with experience to kind of keep you, keep the ethos alive uh-huh. and keep the, the manners and the respect for the mountains, for the trailhead, for the other users, yep. for the, for the snow, for the mountains. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it is, is, uh, you know, I see that the newer generation wanting to get in the mountains. And I, and I think that that's great. I think people should let get me ask you mountains. this. Then. Have you incorporated that into your, into your like level one oh my God. a I've little been, bit? I've been preaching that since day one. Awesome. Yeah. That's good to hear. And anybody okay. that has taken my courses can can attest to just like you know oh, i'm cool on my hear. soapbox so i i'm like and i got that... your attention here these here's how you should act this mm-hmm. is what you need to do this is how you should park this is you know if your dog poops in the skin track you should move you should <laughs> yes. move their poop out of the skin track kurt heard me rant the other week about how much yeah. poop i saw yeah i mean, I, I mean during uh, covid it wasn't just dog poop there was like human poop you know it was it was oh wild. god so, are you serious really? oh yeah there during i there were multiple. Just I took do it a, in your pants like I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be that much cleaner, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's hard when you you I you know I take Owen my 
my husky skiing with me everywhere and and while i was teaching a lot yeah, of classes let's talk about that a little bit you shred shred with your dog a lot shred with the dog a lot and you know one thing about dogs is they do love human feces and so it's oh, no. like you gotta oh, no. you gotta keep them keep them on a tight leash he, he knows better now but yeah there was a point where you know you find a nice delicious warm snack in the back in it and stuff oh it, no <laughs> exactly yeah so i, oh I mean, there's you know he doesn't get as much play time and mountain time as he as he used to how old is he now i think he's about seven he's seven okay. yeah but he doesn't like snowmobiles they're too loud for him mm-hmm. and a, a lot of my job now and time is a lot of sled access so he doesn't he doesn't make it up okay yeah i i went up and checked out an avalanche up and up and off Matterhorn Peak on Friday and I it was the first time that he's he's gotten left at home of like it wasn't sled access and I was going for a big walk but you know it's 10 miles yeah 6,000 feet and I took him up Mount Wood last spring and and he was he was definitely crushed. feeling it yeah I remember when my dog was about eight I took him up to lack in the spring one day on a spring day and yeah he had good footing and everything and it was yeah. corn but he was like looking at me like that okay this is the limit yeah. and he ret- you retire him out I think it's yeah. good to retire him out early yeah I he went with me the last three days up into uh the training areas and so he he loads up in the tucker snowcat mm-hmm. with me with the marines and we we that's awesome and, and that's cool to, the marines probably dig that huh yeah i think every i mean he's just a he's got such a good energy about him owns a chill dog everybody loves to just have his like yeah that's cool and he knows better he knows where to go and you know it's like he's been trained and knows what avalanche terrain is knows where to stop and knows to stay behind you yeah exactly yeah, yeah. especially in the skin track if, and he blends yeah. in. He's camouflaged. He's, he's chill. I give <laughs> he's him a whistle. Totally white. And he comes he's just and, a white dog. It's yeah. awesome. And he, you know, he loves chasing the big hares out there. There's mm-hmm. massive snow rabbits. That are oh white yeah. And they're about half his size. But, we saw one of those at like yeah, ten thousand exactly. feet when I was down there with you. Yeah. That blew my mind. So, I mean, to kind of circle back on the ethos and mm-hmm. and just to relate it to the surfing world, it's. You know, you see the same thing in kind of any sport that we're using public land or public waters or whatever. It's there's it's a, a lot of there's resource. a lot of yeah, there's a lot of people. But it's uh, also dangerous, and I think that's the other thing that's similar is. with with surfing to backcountry skiing is that there one of the reasons that there was call it if you want to call it gatekeeping is was because it's dangerous. Yeah, and the the Huey boys were there for a reason. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely, you know, and it keeps you it keeps you in check, and, and it keeps people in line, and. You know, I have mixed feelings about that as far as like, you know, I've been the, I've been the kook in the water. Everybody has. <laughs> yeah, we're all kooks. Right. Yeah. Uh, we are yeah. all kooks. But being in the mountains, what I, the problem that I see with it these days with the new Onyx development of, you know, th- throwing lines up on a, on your smartphone that people can just go and do is, I mean, it was proven last year that I won't name names, but there sure. was a somebody with you know a lot of instagram followers put uh you know puts his lines up and uh, he was in the east side i think it was last spring Mm -hmm. and went out and skied a line and there was a repeat and there was somebody else who saw it and went out and did it the next day and and they died in an avalanche oh god really yeah yeah so it's 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 one of those things where it's you're you're introducing you know there's not the there's nobody saying, hey, uh, 
you need to learn this much experience before you go out and, and yeah. follow this, follow these lines or do these lines. And who's, you know, who's getting the backlash on that? It's the search and rescue teams. It's right. The, yeah. Exactly. That was kind of Kurt's point. Yeah. Yeah. When I talked to him about it. So I, I had an interesting conversation with someone about this in the skin line the other day that is tied in with, with this. And Onyx had reached out to him about input. And, and my input on it was that instead of making that app sort of a, like all guidebooks sort of objective based, and I know that the Eastern Sierra book does have a, you know, like a, a, a rating scale on it. Uh, I, I feel like that Onyx should, their, their approach moving forward with this should be that it's, that it's, you know, it's not objective based, it's level based. So it's almost like if you're going to, if all these people are going to go check boxes and ski lines, like you start with these ones yeah. and you build the experience yeah. because so many of the more dangerous lines, like we were talking about Kurt just the other day, watching Cody's. 50 on project on split yeah you know it's yeah. like split split's a great example is that just a line on an onyx map right that that line if what? you look at onyx and you look at split cooler is that just a line a dotted line that says you can ski this uh i don't i haven't checked out what <laughs> onyx is is i haven't seen what they're producing i, I yet, haven't either but, but I, I mean that's a that's a classic example of yeah. that it's you know we talked about the conversation of it being condition dependent and it's been really only good twice in the last 20 years yeah and it's not just condition dependent though i mean yeah. i've been up there four times in it's 25 so years gnarly. and i've never skied it because yeah. i get up there and i'm like no yeah, way no. yeah it's no. gnarly yeah. But that's it's, that's something though you learn with you it's know like ice check. That's something you learn from just having a ton of other experience, right? And like I don't know, I feel like it needed to be like sort of you do these skis and then you work your way up somehow. And yeah. like if they laid it out that way, it might help people get experience. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what the 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 answer is or the magic bullet on that. I, I do know that we we or folks that are kind of upper echelon or the most the, the people that are spending the most of the time out there and have a huge following need yeah. to mm-hmm. need to preach it more of, yeah. And you know, maybe don't do not, this at yeah, home. Yeah. Like don't do this. At get home. some I'm more experience before. You, yeah. It's like you the jackass. Pr- it's like the jackass promo at the beginning and beginning of every episode of right. jackass. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, kinda. that's kind of like what we're witnessing on Instagram go down is that there's all this radness, but there's no talk of any, Reality. Reality. Yeah. 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 Yep. Do you think there's context um, that exists in a guidebook that is lacking in an app? So if you were to buy the Eastern Sierra guidebook, that the content within it will give you a deeper understanding of what you're about to step into versus downloading an app on a phone and looking at all the different lines you could ski in that zone? Well, I think it, I think there's different context to it. And, you know, you, you got the app. You got the phone in your hand. You get more tunnel vision when you're sitting there looking at your. It, it's like when Strava came out and people were, yeah, you know, jumping onto secret lines or secret trails or whatever. It's kind of the same thing. Of, yeah, of, of tunnel vision. Where if you have tunnel vision in the mountains, you're gonna get in trouble. Yeah, you know, you gotta have that broader sense of what you're seeing. You spend you're spending your whole time making sure you're on route looking at your smartphone you're Mm -hmm. not seeing you know the the red flags yeah Yeah, the red flags that the mountains presenting to you yeah and it's hard to do both right and i think it takes practice if that's how you're going to be doing it but i don't think you need a guidebook or an app to 
to go out in the mountains and have a good time. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do is, is, is have that, that religious, spiritual, you know, physical experience in the mountains that we're all seeking. Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. need those things to have that. You can go ski. There's a lot of lines. There's a million lines in the Sierra Nevada range, you know, 0.01% of them have, directions on how to access them the rest of them you just go and and do but right there's nothing that's taking the place of that mentorship or that experience level to tell you yeah you know places to start is yeah get a navi one i'm not saying not do that get a navi two. get the experience do a rescue do a rescue every year Mm -hmm. find a good group of people you know buy the right gear use the right gear um, but you know, watching a YouTube, vi- you know, I, I just built a house basically watching uh, YouTube videos. You can't, yeah, let's, you, let's talk you, about you that can't, you can't do that in the mountains though. You, you know, you can't watch yeah. a YouTube video and then, and then pretend you're going to be safe and not. You can't watch the 50 and say, I can do this. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to eat my cookie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to eat a cookie. I'm stuck. So as a total... <laughs> I like, because I think there's, I mean, there's important context here. I am not a mountaineer. I don't consider myself like, I mean, I guess I'm moderately hardcore skier, but not to the level of what, you know, Cody and his friends are doing. You're a kook. Yeah. I We're mean, compared kooks. to what they're doing, you know, totally. And I'm okay with that. No, but we're all kooks. Yeah. And if you have that mentality that we're all kooks, it's a humbling humility level that more of us need to take into the mountains. Yeah. Well, what I, what I appreciate about what Cody's been doing with this series is I think in the onset, it was, you know, fully radical. Let's get after this. Let's get them all. Let's do this. And as he's gone through the last five years in this evolutionary experience of this project, it's more, now he's a father, you know, he is, I think like that's, I, I thought that split, uh, Kular episode was really interesting because he got rejected five times and and real and they were literally halfway down that thing with Nick Russell when they pulled the plug and hiked back out because they're like this doesn't feel right. Yeah, and you know I think that is um, you know it, it's it's uh, you got to respect that like he he's getting older and he, he's realizing like I want to do this but I want to do this on my terms when it feels right. And that can only come with experience. 100%. And I think that kind of, you know, putting out that type of, you know, film or video or whatever is an education in, um, or, you know, just like some insight into what it really takes to ski some of these things. And it's just not go out there, looks great, let's get after it. It's more like you got to really have it, like you said, you know, understand all of the the uh, red flags and know and almost not anticipate what's going to happen, but have a pretty good idea of how this thing's going to go down if you decide to commit. Yeah, you know? I, I think to be honest with you, I haven't. The, the split episode is the only one that I've that I fully. I watched. recommend watching it. It's, I, I watched Scott Gaffney one. edited yeah. it. It's yeah. really well put together. It is. I, I agree, um, and I think what Cody has done is you know. I have my own opinions and I, I think Cody's great and Elise and, and, and kind of the shift that he did from being a big mountain skier and riding helicopters and doing that and saw an opportunity, I think. And I think it's great. Um, there is a, there is a flip side to it where there's, you know, people watching him do those things that yeah. I, I think has a bit of a backlash and yeah. I'm not sure if that's mentioned 
that much. I know he's aware of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I would like to see personally more like, you know, kids don't do this at home type of, of thing. Yeah. Uh, messaging. Um, but overall, I think he's, you know, he's tapped into a, a good niche and he's got a lot of followers and a lot of people have seen it and people, you know, guiding all over the world. People always ask, do you know, Oh, you're, you're from Squaw Valley or or Olympic Valley or Palisades. And do you know Cody Townsend? Yeah. Have you watched his, you know, I'm like, yep. Yeah. Great guy. Great skier. Yeah. Doing cool things. Um, you know, but like I said though, at the end of the day, his, I think he's entertaining and he has a good attitude and he doesn't take himself too seriously. And, um, I think they're doing a good job. Yeah. I think, um, but overall just, you know, there's, there needs to be more like, Hey guys, you're new to this. You can't just go out to split and yeah. Yeah. And jump into it's it. It's true. I mean, mountain biking, right? Like you look at mountain biking in perspective, like I always say this, right? It's, it's really hard to die mountain biking. It's really easy to die skiing. And like when you have all these YouTubers mountain biking and they're riding all these rad trails and they're, you know, giving you beta on how to go do it. It's, it's a different situation than if you go and ski split Kular, right? It's just different. Like you could like, it's just a lot harder to get yourself into a life threatening situation on a mountain bike than it is on snow. And there's a big difference there, I think. And so I think there's extra responsibility required when you are a winter sports athlete doing these extreme things. Yeah. You know, well said. I think just to kind of finish up on that split is split has, uh, become quite a folklore, mythical beast yeah. or, you know, especially folks that live in Tahoe and new Kip and Allison. Yeah. Um, that was a, that was a huge, uh, shake to our community when he when those guys got caught in a wind a small wind slab somewhere yeah. in the Kular and, yeah. and both got flushed out um th- that hit the community really hard and I, I i think they did a good job of of recognizing that in that episode because yeah. it's there's a lot of people you know like i've been down there a few times and i'm like i wanted to i wanted to ski split before that happened and after that happened, myself included, and a lot of other people are like, yeah, I don't think we need to do that. And not just because it's so dangerous, but more of a, like a tribute to, I think Allison and Kip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a, it's like a respect thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, I speak for myself, but I, and you know, other friends that are like, yeah, I don't need to do that now. Um, that, so here's a question for you. Why is that particular line considered one of the 50 classics when there's a, another Kular right next to it that's 100% skiable? Mm-hmm. I don't under, I look at that thing, I'm like, visually, yeah, it looks interesting. However, in the bottom third of it, there's a giant wall you either have to ice climb down or repel, well, both, I mean, climb or repel or whatever. Ropes are involved and sharp, stabby things are involved. Like, <laughs> How, why is that considered a ski line? It's more, it seems to me like a light mountaineering line. Like, do you, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I just don't get it. Maybe I'm not a good enough skier and I'm. I think it's, I think it's a box to, to check, you know, I think it's a badge of honor to, 
or a badge of awesomeness to be like I skied split and to walk with with you know I can count the people that have skied split on one hand I was that, that say, I know of right I don't know skied. everybody but I do you think the the authors of that book skied it uh, Nate I don't know if Nate skied it or not I you know I the fifty classic descents who wrote that oh book? that yeah I'm not sure yeah I was thinking of the East Side the East Side guy yeah yeah yeah. I'm not sure. I'm sure if you write a book that's one of, and you put it in your book it, you, for street cred, I think you have to ski it. <laughs> that, that's my opinion. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Because like, yeah, if you're if you're if you're claiming that this is a classic ski descent, and you've never done it because it's too gnarly. Is it really a classic ski descent? Yeah, but like you said, there's a there's a more aesthetic, more fun, less scary line right next to it. That's, right, that's worth worth checking out right yeah Yeah. but those are big mountains down there and that's if you're new to the you know coming back to this if you're new to mountaineering and ski mountaineering don't start at the don't start at the big guys you don't start at the double black diamonds you don't go to waimea to learn how to surf big waves exactly yeah (laughs) white key key bud (laughs) yeah exactly yeah well so and uh for context in case people who are listening to this like are like where the hell are they talking about we're talking about the eastern sierra um south of kind of tahoe you're right off sonora pass kind of where 108 and 395 meet right yeah um and and split where is that in the eastern sierra how far down the range like how how do you access that pretty far down yeah, it's, it's south of Mammoth, south of Bishop, south of Bishop. It, it, you know, south of Bishop, you get into a couple of towns: uh, Lone Pine, Big Pine, yep. Independence. Yep. And that's you know that zone in there is where, where Whitney, Whitney is, is yep. and and uh, the Palisades, yep. which are not to be confused with Palisades Tahoe. There's a million Palisades. Yeah, right? but um, there's those. That's where the bigger mountains are, yep. and you can get yourself very quickly into trouble down there kurt i i think too that a lot of people are wanting to check that box too because it is one of the 14ers the split split yeah. is yeah, yeah. so it, it does offer an opportunity to for people to ski from the top of a 14 or more or less. there's probably easier ones though right there are there's but <laughs> yeah. you know what that there's a nothing the, the south face off a of split yeah south the south line is amazing it was awesome yeah. like corn corn city usa see i don't see i there you go that I don't know, man. To me, it just the risk. The risk factor for me is everything. I, you know, I, I definitely don't get summit fever. Like, if the mountain says, "Yeah, come on up today," I'd, I'll do it. If it, if you're looking at it, going, "Nope, I don't think so," right? Like, they there are these times where people get into situations and they look back on, you know, if if they're fortunate enough to make it out alive, and they think about like. Well, you know, there were multiple moments where we were like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. But they just kept pushing forward and not recognizing that there are signs being presented. And at each moment, they kept just either ignoring it or acknowledging and deciding not to, you know, abide it. Well, I I don't think it's even that they're ignoring it. I think it's that they don't recognize what it is. And that's, that's lack of experience. Yeah and not understanding when the mountain is saying, Hey, slow down, stop, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. yield, yeah. turn around. Yeah. Those are signs that you have to spend time in the mountains to learn and interpret what's happening. Yeah. And that that's being lost. Yeah. I think with, with the newer generation and, and, you know, I'm not gatekeeping at all. And I just think that there's, 
there's ways to do things right. There's ways to do things wrong. And I think yeah, gaining experience before you go ski or go surf pipeline is right. Is it's massive. Like the dude's going yeah. to, it splits a massive day. Yeah. Like just doing it in a yeah. day is, a, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I think when I did it, it was a 12 hour day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's not anything. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like surfing pipe. Yeah. Tail Rick with Trash and Treasure on WMTT Hot Country 103. Give us a call. Tell us what you got for sale today. Hey, you're on the air. Yeah, there's uh, Enos Mahonky over there in Booger Hole. I got a Larry Fisher Mountain pushback for sale. Only been crashed into a tree once, so uh, pretty much brand new otherwise. Got a nice jail seat on it. Some uh, off-road tires and that. And uh, it's got them suspensions. Asking tree fitty, firm, service calls only, no scammers. Don't waste my time. Don't steal my stuff. 522-0258. All right. Mahaki over in Booger Hole got a Larry Fisher mountain bike for sale. Tree fitty. Don't waste his time. Don't steal his stuff. Give him a call at 522-0258. There's a better way to buy, sell, and rent used outdoor gear. Sendy, a new peer-to-peer online marketplace backed by Cam Zink and Travis Rice. Built by athletes for athletes, Sendy is committed to providing the outdoor community with a high-quality hub for high-quality gear. Sendy provides a safe platform for buying, selling, and renting, making sketchy meetups with shady characters and seedy parking lots a thing of the past. Sendy uses integrated and discounted UPS rates, QR codes, and print-ready labels, shipping anywhere in the U.S., with Canada coming soon. Download the app today for free at the Apple Store, Google Play, or visit sendy.io. Buy it, sell it, rent it, and send it with Sendy, charter partner of Mind the Track. Now, back to the show. Well, let's <laughs> let's shift the conversation yeah, a little yeah, to your your personal life. Oh, and uh, you what do you want to know? What do you want to know? I want to. I want to know about off-grid living. Man. Yeah, I want to know how you unplugged from Tahoe. <laughs> yeah, how did you unplug from Tahoe? That's an interesting story. God. Um, yeah, I think. Were I'm, you wanting to settle here? Yeah, of course. I mean, I moved here in 2002. Got a job at uh, formerly known Squaw Valley as a ski patroller. Um, I think I was 22. It was, and. And how long did you patrol for, for Squaw? I patrolled for Squaw for, I think, two, two and a half seasons, okay. I think it was. Um, and then I got fired. I got fired from patrol. I didn't get, you know, I was 22, and I thought I was pretty hot snot, and, you know, maybe had a couple of chips on my shoulder, and as most of us do. But um, I didn't get along, or I didn't see eye to eye, where I rubbed the patrol director at the time. Um, rubbed them the wrong way and and they you know i i was pushing it a little bit i was jumping off you know the diving board underneath granite on, in, on your route in the cross with people <laughs> on chair with you know with, in with a red uniform on and yeah and you know caught it trying to do watching guys like lorenzo and i was telling at the time and i was like i can do it i can do a front flip 
truck driver where you grab your telly tips and pull it in and <laughs> it's like i can do that off the off this piece right underneath chair line and you know cut you know caught the tip on my chin and had to get ski down to the bottom of shirley with of my face bleeding you know with the red jacket on and go down to the clinic and get stitches the jacket was red yeah exactly but <laughs> the thing doing things like that is not like you, you're not you're not a pro patroller. <laughs> You're taking the pro out of patrolling yeah. for sure. And, you know, a couple of things like that and then maybe just my attitude or, or whatever it was. But I ended up getting uh, suspended. Um, there was a big parking thing back then. You had to park back behind where Uniforms, I think, is now or where the hostel was, that green building. And then you had to get bussed over. And I, I think I came in for my day off to have a meeting and I had parked right next to patrol. And anyway, long story short, uh, it ended up getting suspended. And then I, my mouth was interjected and said some things and, and there I was, I was done. Uh, so that kind of wrapped up, but I, I stayed in the Valley, you know, I got a PO box in squat or Olympic Valley and in 2002 and I closed it in 2020 when I moved down to the east side. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, living here, I think long story short is, you know, I was chasing the carrot, trying to make it happen and, and buy land or buy property here. And, and that carrot just kept getting smaller and smaller and further away. And, um, you know, that and you know botched relationships or relationships that didn't work out or or whatever it was um were all kind of parts of why i i wanted to start new i also want i love horizon lines and i wanted land and i wanted Mm -hmm. to be around uh, you know like-minded people or less people and just saw the the influx of humans in the area which is totally you know i'm not placing blame or pointing fingers but you know it's a beautiful area here it's awesome it's never never land and but you know traffic increases and and um more people and and you know higher prices and uh, jobs are paying less and jobs are few and far between and and all these things that we all know about yeah um, no, it's a, it's a struggle to get your it's feet a, in. It, it's it, a struggle to get your feet in the Tahoe, for sure. Is. Yeah. And it, so where did you end up? So General Zone. General Zone, uh, Sonora Junction, um, population three. <laughs> <laughs> you you and your dog Owen. <laughs> and... Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I, I went down there. Um, I found some land on Zillow and called the owner. And um, yeah. And how did Basically. you, what'd you build first? There was a, there's a structure on the, on the property. There was a structure. A structure. Okay. Yeah. A shop. And I basically have just been living in the shop and, um, made it livable. And there was a well in place. So there was well, there was water and a structure and I was like, ah, I can, I can work with this. So yeah, it's, it's good living. It's, um, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to it. What are, what are some of the biggest challenges for you so far other than last winter? Last winter was definitely, (laughs) I still have PTSD from last winter getting in and out. Um, Is your, how how far from the main road are you on? My driveway is one mile from, from three. And you maintain that? No, I mean, it's, it's a county, 
it's a forest service road that's county maintained. It's not plowed in the winter. Um, so I, I guess when I say you maintain it, you, you navigate, I navigate it, yeah. whether I, it's on a snowmobile yeah. or, or a jacked up truck. I do have a half mile or little less than a half mile, uh, driveway that I do have to maintain. Okay. Um, but I have a, a 40 acre parcel right in the middle of the Humboldt Toyabe. So I'm four sides, surrounded by four sides of the Humboldt Toyabe National Forest, which is nice. Uh, great view, you know. No Sunrises, sunsets. Sun all day. Sunrises. Sun all day. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's high desert, you know, sagebrush. The, the woman that owned it before me uh, named it and made a sign called Sagebrush Heaven. Um, and it is. It's, it's, it's magical. The energy there is awesome. You know, it's just a, it's a great cool. place to wake up. It's a great what kind of wildlife do you have coming through there? Uh, all kinds. Uh, lots of mule deer. Uh, lots of golden eagles, red-tailed hawks. Uh, I've seen a mountain lion. A lot of, a lot of bear coming through. There's a lot of bear up in the Sweetwater Range. Um, and that range is to your, to your, to, to your east. To my east, yeah. Okay. I call it the the, the back range or the the back door. Uh, the front, kind of the the house I made it is facing west, right towards the kind of Sonora Range and and Mount Walker and Mount Emma. Uh, Mount Levitt and, are right and there Sonora to the west. Are, are just to the west, and the Sweetwaters are just behind me to the east. Yeah. What's your favorite ski close to, Oof. like out out the door? Like, what's your go-to? Well, last if you're year, not if you're not having to go do dig pits and I, the, go to certain zones, I think my favorite. I've always had um, an attraction to the Sawtooth Range out mm-hmm. of Bridgeport and Twin Lakes. Um, so that's always been, I even had a, a ring like custom made when I was on the Yosemite search and rescue. There was a, a gal that I worked with there who was a jewelry maker and I had her, I took her a photo of the sawtooth range and, and gave it to her and she kind of etched this beautiful silver ring that I've since lost. Um, but that somewhere in the, in the sawtooths mm-hmm. are my favorite. Um, but easy access, there's a lot of awesome peaks there that are no name. You know, it's not really in a lot of guidebooks and, yep. and hopefully me, uh, spewing this right now is yeah, going to no, bring but... more people, but yeah, <laughs> you're blowing your place yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah. There's, you know, <laughs> there's a, a lot of it snowmobile access. Um, and this year is hard because, you know, the snow levels are so high. So you kind of need a way to get up higher in the mountains, um, for bigger days. And what were you using for that this year? What do e- I use for e-bike or? Um, you could have used it. You could have used an e-bike. Um, I've been using a sled. Okay. Uh, I have my personal sled and then work sleds. Um, and then I, I can sled straight from the house and go up to the Sweetwaters. Last year I could have sledded straight from my house and gone up the Sonora range. I mean, there was, there was, you know, over a month I'd say where, or at least a few weeks where the roads were closed and yeah, that, that whole time when 395 was closed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I could, I could be out on 395 with my snowmobile and it was, it was kind of the only way in and out of that area in order to be able to move around. If you had, if you had like a paved plowed maintained road to your property line, how much easier would living there in the winter be? Is that the main challenge of living there in the winter or are there yeah. other challenges? It that... would be a hundred percent easier. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that's the, that's the biggest challenge. Like yesterday coming here, I'm on, I, th- I think we're on our seventh mud season of the 2023, 2024 mud season. <laughs> seventh yeah, mud season. Yeah. Cause it's just like, it's, <laughs> it's snowed and then it's melted and it's snowed and it's melted. And every time it melts off, it's, it, there's this clay 
you know, yeah. m- glacial moraine mud yeah. there that makes movement pretty hard. And yeah. I, I just this week trying to get to my house in the afternoon as it melts off and gets warm, I, I got stuck twice. It was a big reason I bought a Tacoma that had a, a locker on it, so I could use that rear locker to get unstuck. So. <laughs> it either gets you unstuck or it gets you beyond More stuck. stuck. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I mean, when I first got there, the, the place, I think that first spring, I moved there and officially moved there in April 2020, but probably between April and June of that year, I probably killed, not exaggerating, 200 to 300 mice that first. Oh, God. They had moved in. The, the, the whole place was a was a infested uh, mouse, you know, mouse haven community was was owen was owen helping you no he's not he's like he's the worst at (laughs) (laughs) like he's not a guard dog like my my malamute once back in the day caught a mouse and and i didn't know and he came around the corner and i knew he had something in his mouth and i thought you know he was notorious for like jumping on the table and like eating a stick of butter or Uh like grabbing someone's sandwich and so i i I was like rufus what do you got spit it out yeah and he spits out a mouse and it starts running off and i'm like (laughs) no go get it (laughs) sorry good dog (laughs) yeah owen is not helpful at all he helps with chipmunks and ground squirrels and rabbits um Real game. A real game. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's even brought back a few live, fresh birth baby deer. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just like, Oops. Dad, look what I got. You know? <laughs> has he ever, has Oops. he gotten some marmots over the years? Not, I'm Alamut, got a couple of marmots. Yeah. No, no marmots. I don't have a bunch, you know, it's, it's high deserty, not really marmot okay. habitat where I am, not rocky enough. Yeah. Not on your property. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, he tries. Lots of, lots of ground squirrels. He's a ground squirrel. He got, I think he probably got at least 10 of them last year. But I no, mouse, got, the, mouse problem, the mouse problem <laughs> is mouse and moths. There's a lot of moths, and a lot of mice. Uh, not so much anymore, but that first, uh, those first couple of years. But this summer, uh, yeah, I found a mouse nest up in the air, uh, pulling out some sheetrock that I had put up. Oh, it was on the inside. It was on the inside. Oh. Yeah, and I was, I was changing things around, and I pulled out the sheetrock. And I was like, oh, man, there's a mouse nest. And, like, all of a sudden, before I could, like, react, the whole mouse nest had, like, fallen into my face. Oh, and, um, and I mean, right off the bat, I was like, oh, this, that's not good. That's a face full of ultraviolet. Exactly. And, yeah, <laughs> oh, no. I, I will say I was, I was sick. Yeah, I got, I, after that, a few You got hantavirus. Uh, I mean, I... Do you I, know I, if it was hantavirus? Was, yeah, I mean, without saying so much, yeah, yeah. it was. I would definitely. I had a, a lung infection that didn't feel good, oh, and, wow. and I, uh, you know, I think my temperature was probably in the 104, 105 for a few days, and I Dude. couldn't get off the couch, and definitely called some friends and a girlfriend, and being like, "Hey, I'm not feeling too well." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it took me a, probably two months solid wow. to to recover. And that's, a, I mean, that's a real, people die from that. And I think that's, you know, one of the risks of frontier living. And, and you mentioned this, which I thought was interesting, is that the Eastern Sierra is notorious for having like bout, like pockets of hantavirus, yeah. like in unoccupied buildings and stuff. Yeah, I don't know the exact exact statistic, but I know Lee Vining, just south of us in Mono County. Yeah. Mono County has, you know, more cases than most on the east side, east side living with wow. with with the rodents. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, it's it's gnarly. I don't recommend it. Um, it's like the the brain eating amoeba when you go in, oh the, God, hot in spring, the hot spring. You know, yeah, that's the other up, thing that can yeah. kill you. You know yeah. about that, Tom? Yeah, you you can actually catch those from. There was a wave pool at one point in yeah. Texas. Yeah, that someone from New Jersey came and had their vacation and got the braining brain eating amoeba. Oh God! And I think died. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, from yeah. the wave pool, and they had gnarly. to shut the wave pool down. Yeah, I remember the kid in, in, down in Keogh, south of Bishop. Kid, kid was like swimming in Keogh hot springs and and got, and got it in a hot spring and got it in a hot spring. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, no, it's Swanchon and I were hot springing a couple of years ago and, you know, I'm chilling in the hot spring and then I just, I, cause I'd like to go underwater, you know, yeah. and I go underwater and I come up and she looks at me like, you're crazy. What did you just do? Yeah. I was like, what? She goes, why did you, why did you, you don't know about the brain eating amoeba, do you? And I'm like the what? And dude, for the next three days, I was so paranoid that I was all of a sudden going to feel sick and just die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's. That's that homesteading survivalism you got to be aware of. There's things that happen out there in the woods that you got to be aware of. There's so much out there. I mean, just getting, just kind of capping off, the, living off grid like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's never, I'm out of the survival mode for sure, but it's still like everything. Is, you got to. You got the base covered. So you, you're. Yeah. But you got to be on your game kind yeah. of all the time. And, and, you know, I've. I've got a lot of vehicles. Now I have a tractor and I, you know, never thought I would own a side-by-side and here I am. I have a side-by-side with You tracks. have a douche canoe? <laughs> exactly. A douche canoe, exactly. Yeah. I thought that was a Sprinter van. I used to have one of those. <laughs> Yours is rubber band powered. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of moving parts, a lot of maintenance. You must have to do a lot of vehicle maintenance. A lot of a lot of registrations, a lot of yeah. a lot of insurances, right. a lot of oil changes. Where do you go for that? <laughs> then uh, Mammoth? No. No, his backyard. Next chop shop. Oh. Yeah. No, 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 but where what's what's your closest DMV? Oh, um, um you know, usually Truckee. Truckee, Um I, the places that I hit or the DMVs I've been to have, have been Bishop, Truckee, and Susanville. Okay. My mom lives up in Lassen still, so I'll I'll stop off in Susanville DMV because mm-hmm. it's you know it's a fifteen minute wait as opposed to a three hour wait. Yeah, Quincy DMV is another good one. Exactly. Yeah. I got my I got my driver's license at the Quincy DMV. It, it, ironically, the best DMV experience I've any, ever had in my life was in California in Quincy. I yeah. couldn't believe no, it. That's great. They actually are like they operate like a. They're a, friendly. Hi. Yeah, and they get stuff done. Yeah. And they just like they know how to solve problems and they don't. Yeah, it's great. And it's fast. There's no line, really. With that being said, one of the worst is, has, has been Truckee. <laughs> it's Truckee. Yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Especially in the last few years, I'm sure it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah. 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 At least there's new faces in there now. For a solid decade, it was the same same folks in there. And they were near retirement, you could tell, and they were not into their job. Yeah. Um, so I want to actually dive into a little bit about the Bridgeport Avalanche Center. Okay. Um, I was not aware of this but until you made me aware of it, that there's four kind of official avalanche centers in California. Is that, or in the Sierra Nevada? or In California. In California. Yeah. Yep. What are the, look, go through those. There's the Mount Shasta. Okay. We'll start from north to south. Um, the Mount Shasta Avalanche Center, which is a type one center, mm-hmm. um, meaning that they produce a forecast every day. Um, 
there's the Sierra Avalanche Center, which is the biggest in California. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's from Yuba Pass to Carson Pass in the area you're in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Bridgeport Avalanche Center. Uh, the Sierra Avalanche Center is also a type one, meaning they produce a forecast every day. Mm-hmm. Then there's us at the, the BAC. Mm-hmm. And we are a type two center. We put out two to three forecasts and observations more observations but two to two at least two forecasts right now a week mm-hmm. and then there's uh eastern sierra avalanche center and that's from virginia lakes down to i think independence or lone pine mm-hmm. um maybe bishop creek um and they are a type one as well mm-hmm. meaning they produce that forecast every day so yeah for m- moving and grooving uh forecast center so a lot of the state is covered um, by those, by the four kind of programs making it happen out there, which is, in my opinion, is awesome. You know, there are a lot of employees, a lot of forecasters, a lot yeah, of they've grown, employed. They've, they've grown a lot. Yeah, everybody's everybody's doing a good job, and it's it's a nice little community. You know, there's not, I think there's 14 avalanche centers in North America, or not North America, in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, I think 50 eight forecasters or whatever it is all you know with some of them are private and most of them are u.s forest service based Mm -hmm. with uh, a non-profit or a friends group associated with it to help with funding yeah um but yeah people are making it happen so we can go out and recreate and so you're writing forecasts two you said two to three times a week yeah we're right now at the bac we're producing a forecast on friday mornings at 7 a.m and Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. And and if something, you know, changes drastically or, you know, a big storm like this weekend, if it, mm-hmm. if it was going to arrive on a Monday, we'd probably produce a forecast. Um, and are you communicating and sharing uh, sharing beta with the with the people just south of you then, with, yeah, with the east side? Yeah, we have a, um, a, a Google chat. We have a couple of Google chat rooms. Um, one of them's with the BAC in the, in the ESAC, and then another one is, is uh, SAC, ESAC, and the BAC. It was, is, is the, do you communicate a bit with Tahoe as well? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah we're, produ- we're talking to, I just was texting with Andy mm-hmm. uh, Anderson uh, last night or today on, on some logistics on how they're doing stuff. Yep. You know, because we're the, we're the new folks. We're the new kid in town. We're the smaller, you know, stepbrother um, producing, but... There, there's no need to inv- you know reinvent the carrot or reinvent the wheel um, when people are already doing it. You know, Steve and, and uh, Brandon and Annie, they've been doing this a long time, so mm-hmm. they're, they're a, a good resource to to ask questions to. Because hey, what do you think about this? Or how are you guys doing this? It's it's nice to have them be like get back to you when they can mm-hmm. on, on on how to do it. Now, are you funded? What are the main? What's the main uh, source of funding for these avalanche centers? Are they different based on the center? They are. Yeah, the Eastern. Um, I don't know as much about the Mount Shasta, but I know they're used for service based. Um, so the employees are for service employees. They're employees. The forecasters are for service employees uh-huh. that then have an, a, a friends group that yep. is doing fundraising, and a lot of the funding is OHV grants. Oh, okay, yep. interesting. So state, state. California yep. OHV funding, yep. um, which is great. Yep. It makes makes things a lot 
um, more possible, you know, being able to buy snowmobiles, being able to yep. whatever, you know, um, yep. whatever comes up, we can, we're in the process right now. Is that um, what you're doing? The BAC? The BAC, yeah, we're, we're, this year will be our first year uh, applying for the OHV grant. And since we're the, it makes sense because we are one of, we're, how do I say it? We're the, the most snowmobile friendly of all the avalanche centers. I mean, we have a, yeah, right. we have a snowmobile on our logo. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. that tells you anything. Awesome. Yeah. And, and so it, I mean, <laughs> most last year, we were forecasting for just the Bura, which is the Bridgeport Winter Recreation Area, which is like a 7,000 acre. It's like a play on Ura because it's right near the Marine Base. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. I, I didn't even think <laughs> of that, but yes. Ura on the Bura. Um, anyway, so that was our, our main zone that, or that we were forecasting for. Yeah. This year we've expanded to um, Mill Canyon, which is basically the town of Walker, all the way to Green Creek to button up to V Lakes. Okay. Um, and then that's where the ESAC takes over. Yeah. Um, and that's where our forest on the Humboldt Toyabe ends. And that's where the Indio begins. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, OHV grants makes it huge, hugely possible for us to, to operate because our forecasting budget for the, for us is, is very small. Do you have a, do you have a, like a donation oh, yeah. component? Got, like we, people yep. can donate? Yeah, can go let's to give the that website. a shout out. Yeah. We can go to the website, bridgeportavalanchecenter.org. Uh, and there's a donation button on there. You can go and donate. You can be a sponsor. Yeah. Uh, there's different sponsor levels uh, for it. But yeah. And you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. And, you know, there's three of us that are producing. Um, there's three of you in Bridgeport. There's three of us okay. that, yeah. One of us um, commutes from, lives in Tahoe City and commutes down a couple oh, wow. days a week. And then two of us live in the area mm-hmm. i mean i live right there the whole terrain the heart of it yeah. the heart of it and then um joe our other our our lead forecaster lives down in topaz and so he's within striking well, that's not far no yeah yeah so he's he's there and um and jules comes down a couple days a week and where does he stay uh he stays at uh, some forest service barracks oh okay yep <laughs> with the mice I th- he lives in a newer Forest Service barrack um, Nick, while he's there. Tell us a little bit about your the process of writing a forecast, because I'd, I'd, I'd like to understand your thought process and how you guys attack it a little bit, because I, I feel like the the forecast here in the in Tahoe, mm-hmm. sometimes the danger is, is, is conservative. Yeah. Yeah, or the, putting words in your no, mouth. <laughs> the the other way around. Actually, okay. uh, I, I feel like the you know sometimes it's the danger. I, I just don't know if you're if you guys are forecasting from you know the like the worst case scenario from that one pocket that's super dangerous that most people would know to avoid, or are you forecasting? Is it more of a general take on it? Because I, I feel like the sometimes the Sierra forecast is is over. Over conservative. Over conservative. Yeah, I mean, that, I yes. think that's why I was getting. Yes. Is yeah, yeah. In general, remember, we're forecasting to the masses. Could be somebody that doesn't even know what an avalanche beacon is. Mm-hmm. Probably not, but we, yeah, I, I guess that's still, my question: is that yeah. like you're you're forecasting to a very broad yeah. user group and level of knowledge? So, like, yeah. you know, how does someone that has more experience read the forecast versus someone that doesn't? Great, there, great question. So there's a there's a 
different parts of the forecast, right? The, mm-hmm. the most obvious is the danger level that we produce, and that's color-coded. for Like one through five. Yeah, right? you know, it's, it's green, yellow, orange, red, and black. And, you know, that's the first thing that you see and first thing that grabs people's attention. Um, and, and then the next step to that is what we call the bottom line, and that's a, th- a three to four sentences of where it is, what it is, and, and what to do about it. You know, three sentences. And that's you keep that simple, eh? Yeah, that's the first thing mm-hmm. that people read of just to, to see where it's, it is and, and kind of give you the general impression. And then there's your avalanche problems. You know, there's nine avalanche problems that's categorized in the U.S. And so you can look at what the problem is that is a primary and a, at least a, maybe a secondary, usually not a tertiary. We try to keep it at two. And... And then, um, so you can read more details into that specific problem. And then if you scroll down even further, you get into the forecast discussion. And that's the spot where I would say the more advanced people, user group can go into and they can dive into the the nitty and the gritty. And, you know, you get more into the details and the, and the wording, but, you know, we're, we're most avalanche centers are trying to write a forecast that a, a sixth grader could understand, you know, you're not, we're trying not to use a bunch yep. of that makes jargon, sense. you know, and so a sixth grader could come in and read it and be like, Oh, I've got a great idea of where I should go or not go or what today's looking like. So that, that kind of, uh, paints a good picture, okay. but in that forecast discussion, um, you can, you can, we put more in there usually especially if there's exciting things going on like mm-hmm. earlier this season with their persistent yeah, let's, weak layer. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I think two things I'd like to touch on is, is that, is, mm-hmm. the, is the early January cycle. Yeah. And maybe since you were a patroller at Squaw, we could talk a little bit about the accident but and, yeah. and get a little your take on that one. And then obviously what we have going on out the, out the window yeah, right now, sure. which, is, which is, you know, this, this uh, crippling storm that's the on crippler. our I like that that, nickname. That, that's on our doorstep but let's let's get back to the hype yeah the, hype, the, the oh i know you the, believe it when i see it but dry, i yeah. i am seeing it right now yeah we are seeing it yeah it, this year though just a just a, a side note is that you know nws is d- does a great job at this year the the hype has been high and the storms haven't produced yeah and it's hard to produce a f- accurate a forecast avalanche forecast when the weather forecast a big part of our our forecasting as for avalanches is what's happening in the incoming weather and, and yep. those two haven't met up and so you i've found myself almost rewriting every forecast this year because i that i'm about to produce and then you, you get up and you write you have to a digest lot of the wet new yeah, weather well, in the you, morning. yeah exactly i mean i start my most of us start our forecast the night before oh, interesting and then you're 12 hours out and then you get up at 5 a.m or 4 a.m or 6 a.m or whatever it is yep. you get up and you look at the weather again and you you know you critique or curtail your your avalanche forecast yep. for what's happening there. so what you're saying is you've had as, as hard of a time forecasting as, as ba has for open snow this yeah, year i would say we've we've we have missed the mark a little bit for sure mm. yeah and fortunately more in a conservative sense but just to finish up on that yep. conservative yeah we're, we're we're producing a forecast for the masses and trying to you know make sure that people are getting the picture of yep. you know you want to you want to be on the safe side of, of what you're forecasting. Yep. 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 Um, so well, yeah, thanks for explaining that one. Yep. Is that it, I, I've seen that trend and yep. the, you know, I've been reading the, the 
Sierra Avalanche Center forecast now for probably 20 years since I moved right, here. And I, I, I've yeah. seen a trend of it becoming more conservative, in the, particularly yeah. in the last 10 years. Why do you think that is? Because there's new people in the sport. Yeah, exactly. yeah no, influx. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the the catch is you, if you go too conservative, then all the old guys are like, ah, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, considerable. Whatever. It's not considerable that yeah. I'm gonna ride my snowmobile right up that Kublar there. And, yeah, you know, yeah, and it slides, yeah. And you're like, well, no, that's why I, that's why I wanted serious. to talk yeah. about it because it is something that you know, it's like I feel like you sometimes have to read between the lines a little bit. Yeah, I'm not gonna disagree with that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's get, you know, there's a lot to talk about with this year. You know, the, the, what happened in January, I think was something that, you know, someone like yourself and me, who's been had their feet in the Sierras for 20 years, like we really hadn't seen a cycle like that and something that was that sort of touchy and hard to, hard to manage and hard to wrap your head around. And it was just so different, I guess. Yeah. And it's sustained. I mean, we, we had it on our forecasting radar. It was on our forecast for um, over a month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. ESAC, you know, down south, they just pulled theirs, I think, last week. Um, the persistent week from layer. From talking about it. From having it. And yeah. they, were they still forecasting yeah. for a persistent week layer from the bo- at the bottom, or were they yeah. talking about yeah, they're just, the January Most thing. of the storms that have come in this year have hit the northern Sierra much more mm-hmm. or have produced more precip than the southern half has and so they were still de- dealing with that shallow uh cold weak layer you know the isac terrain is much higher yep. just like our terrain is higher than sacks terrain and you know the the magic formula for persistent weak layers is cold uh cold shallow snowpacks yeah. mm-hmm. so that's why the eastern eastern avalanche guys down there and gals have uh have been dealing with that much more just because it's higher and drier. I, the one thing that I learned walking away from that cycle was, was just that it was there, but we weren't tickling it with the load. Yeah. And that, you know, I, and since you mentioned the national weather service, I think it's really interesting that they are now putting a little avalanche bulletin yeah. at the bottom of all their forecasts when there are big storms and they're mentioning water content. Yeah. Maybe t- tell the listeners a little bit about the importance of, you know, the, the, the water, like the forecasted water content of what's coming. Yeah. Because I think that that was the kind of the thing that we really danced around in January was that we had this weak layer, but we kept getting these sort of teaser storms right. that wasn't enough water content or even with wind wasn't enough wind loading to then add more load load. Yeah. It was a load issue. Yeah, it was. It, and, and, and it was a reactivity issue. It was, you know, early on the, you know, when we get early season storms where it's cold in November and December and it's still cold and that sun is low on the horizon Mm -hmm. and our cold, clear nights and our cold, clear days. And you know, that produces facets and, and basal basal facets or depth or which are synonymous with each other. And that's, you know, those unconsolidated sugar, like snow grains that don't bond well to each other. And if you have that at the base of your snowpack, which ultimately in the Sierra when we have those early storms and then it gets cold and doesn't snow and doesn't create a load and it sits, that's what you get. I mean, that's what happens in Colorado and in our continental intermountain, you know, folks out to the east of us, that's why their pack is so dangerous. But in conventional maritime snowpacks, we get that, but then we get multiple wet, heavy storms that sit on top of it and not, you know, the warmer storms 
kind of push that out and compress it out and and, and act as a blanket to mm-hmm. the bottom basal facet layers. So it's not uncommon for us to get those weak layers early season. Um, this year they just lasted longer. They stayed around longer. They stayed around longer because we didn't get the the load yep. to squish it out or to melt it out or uh, help it bond. So it stuck around, and then we you know we had a series of storms that didn't produce and but just enough but not enough to trigger not enough to load it because, i mean that was the thing with yeah. the squaw accident yeah. is you know i've i've had to try to dig for as much information as i could yeah. get on that yeah. because they've kept it under wraps but right. like you know they were bombing that a lot yeah as the, as they do as they do right. but they could not get a result yeah i, I think out of it. first thing that i'll say is that that uh, the palisades tahoe I, I i'll say squaw and i I, no offense. It's just, it's, it's ingrained in my yeah, me brain. Too. I yeah, went to, so, yeah. I, um, you're but, okay in this. Yeah. Yeah. You're okay with me on that one. Palisades Tahoe, you know, has, they throw more explosive and they have more avalanche terrain than I think the statistic is more than anyone in North America in, mm-hmm. in their inbounds. You know, KT alone has, I don't even know. I don't even remember how many, how many established routes. routes. Yeah. There's a lot, you know, 20. Yep. And you think about how much, uh, explosive needs to go into every start zone to make that mountain safe and, you know, give it up for the patrollers at that mountain because they have their work cut out for them. You know, yep. Will Payton, you know, and all the guys, all of the guys and gals that work there are working hard to make things, uh, safe. I, you know, I think you, you sometimes you just, you miss you miss something and, and, you know, a wind load and a persistent weak layer and a whole lot of terrain. And, you know, Kurt had mentioned to me also the factor of that new building. At yeah. The top I was going to ask you about that. Someone yeah. talked to me about that one this, this week. And that yeah. one definitely made a light bulb go off in my head. And yeah. I was like, Oh, I didn't even thought about that. Yeah. That there's 30 years of those guys doing routes on, right. K, on KT with all of that information. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you change the leeward side right, of, exactly. of that ridge increase the leeward side. Of yeah. It, yeah. And, and then like they have zero information really on right. how that affected yeah. the loading, because that's really where the avalanche was from what I understand. For what I understand. And, and I'm just going to say just, just to yeah, we're all cover there. that is that <laughs> we weren't, you know, we, I'm not going to armchair quarterback yep. anybody on what their decision-making was or anything that they, that happened that day or leading up to the events. But we should as, be able to talk as about co- this. No, no, I know for sure. I'm just saying that those guys are doing their, their best and we're yep. all doing our best out there. Um, but yes, I'd say that building in general is creating different wind pathways and yep. different vortex or eddies for that wind to come up, up over that ridge because it's that whole bowl is northeast facing and where do our majority yep. of our That's winds come where, from? Yeah. Are predominantly South, southwest. southwest. So it's a very leeward side, different wind loads, and if you throw a big wind slab on top of a uh, a pretty stubborn but large non-cohesive fasted basal or layer at the bottom, yep. what are you going to get? You're going to get um, big wind loads. You're going to get uh, you know touchy avalanches in some places. The reactivity, but you're also going to have pockets that are isolated yep. that are going to be much less reactive. And you really have to bomb the shit out of that, those ridge lines to make sure it 
And I think they did, but they did. They just missed, you know, it's they're 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 big mountains, and yeah, uh, things happen. So I I did hear this one too that uh, they were almost ready to open that train even a couple days prior to them opening it, but they couldn't get for whatever reason they didn't have staff or whatever it was, and there there was contemplation of them allowing people to reverse traverse to it. Oh yeah. Which would, which would have had skier compaction on that slope. And in yeah. hindsight, when I had heard that one too, I was like, oh my gosh, like that would have, you know, you look at what Aspen Highlands does in their bowl. You look at what Silverton Mountain Resort does early season, you know, with people boot packing certain slopes, like totally. skier. I mean, I'm a huge, like I learned about skier compaction when I lived on Teton Pass. Yeah. And I, and I understood the importance of paying attention to where, to where skier compaction was for then the next cycle so yeah. that I knew that that those were generally safer places to ski. I would say general and, is a good, good word because sure. there are, there is science out there. You know, there are multiple, um, occasions in history where skier compaction didn't work. Didn't do anything. Yeah. Though, yep. You know, there's one, I think it was up in Bridger bowl or Montana, yep. maybe 15, 20 years ago, or it was days and days or months after, this persistent weekly was supposed to be there and there were thousands and thousands of ski tracks over this terrain and it slid. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, wow. it's, it's one of those things where yeah, yeah, there's skier ra- there, compaction is, is there's if, randomness involved for sure. You know, when I was in Japan, there yeah. was a whole groomer that slid to right. the ground on the reed. Like there was some certain species of reed huh. that yeah. got bent down when the whole snowpack came oh, in wow, and the wow. whole snowpack went wow, while that's, I was there. Yeah. I like, think, yeah, there's random things, that's but a, that's a glide. Avalanche, yeah. It was though. a glide. It was yeah. basically a glide, yeah. Yeah. but is. still like I, I, when I had heard that, I thought that that was interesting and it, it could have it could have changed the situation at, at sure. KT if yeah. they had even just 200 people had hiked up there one of those days and, yeah cut it all up and put a few tracks on it. Yeah. I mean, the formula would have been different, right? I mean, it's yeah. like these, 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 all these different variables. There's a lot of variables in, in the snow science and, yeah. you know, on what happens or what makes an avalanche trigger, you know, and we're just doing our best to try and figure all that stuff out. You know, yeah. even people that are much smarter than us are, are putting their brains towards it and they're, they're still scratching their heads. Let me ask you this one too, as we go into this cycle, I saw both posts from Sugar Bowl and, and Palisades going into this about, you know, obviously being aware of tree well, you know, we, that's tree well safety is a big thing, riding with a partner. And Sugar Bowl men- did mention skiing with a beacon yeah. inbounds, yeah. Which, which we talked about in our last episode. And then, but Palisades didn't mention anything about it. Uh, I f- and I found that interesting after oh. what had happened earlier this year. What's your take on skiing inbounds with, with oh, your gear? Huge proponent. I mean, yeah. And people make fun of me. I mean, just, do you do it all? Do you do it? I do it quite every, often, all the time. Yeah, I have a vest now. Uh-huh. I just um, bought one. I'm yeah. stoked. Yeah. Did you, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just bought one. Yeah. I think it's. I, I got to get on the vest vest team. The vest train is where it's at. It's just everything's much low. more. It makes so much compact. sense. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge proponent. Um, you know, early on the days, it was like I would still ski with a beacon when I was a patroller, uh-huh. even if I didn't have a, a shovel and probe. Now yeah. I have all of it. Uh, and I'm a huge proponent of it, especially storm days. You know, if you're yep. skiing KT on a storm day, you should have it. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, yep, you, if I you're agree. going out, you know, the Red Dog Ridge on uh, yep. a zone where, you know, if it's snowing, going to the rock, fight, I've had anywhere, times where anywhere crept into the rock garden and someone hasn't been yep. in there in a half yep. hour, an hour. And all of a sudden there's like yep. eight inches of wind slap. I can't tell you how many times I've been in that and, uh, an avalanche inbounds on KT during yep. a storm day, you know, like 
it's it happens all the time and they just they can't even especially back in the day when there's a lot less people skiing mm-hmm. you, you just couldn't keep up with the skier compaction or yeah the amount of people in all that terrain with all those avalanche pockets and those start zones um, which is great i mean it's that's why i love that zone and love yeah. that area and i mean I, I would take skiing kt on a on a on a storm day you know that's might be number one on my list of most awesome things. Uh, it's a reason why it's life. the mothership. Exactly. Thanks for talking about yeah. the, the, the Palisades thing a little bit. And then, so since we're on that one and you, and is, do you consider mammoth your home mountain now? Ha, <sighs> I don't, I feel like I, I don't have, ta- this is the first year that I don't have a pass. Okay. Um, that I didn't ever buy a pass ever since yeah. I've been, you made the break. Yeah, I just you know it Good just wasn't you. adding up. Last year the the road to Mammoth was closed over a month. Okay, and I yeah. I couldn't get down there uh, after you know mid season, and I skied KT a few times and, and Palisades a few times last year, and it was awesome. But I'm just not up here enough. And what it really comes down to is is just if you don't time it perfectly or or get really lucky, you're, you're fighting the crowds, you're fighting the yep. traffic. And it just turns into more of a like, Nick gets angry. <laughs> Nick doesn't Nick, have fun. Nick turns <laughs> into Kurt and Powbots. Exactly. Yeah. Ass rants. Yeah. And, and I that think was that's me. happened to that all was, of us. So. I mean, that was a big reason I left. You know, that yeah. was a big reason why I left here. So my, my question was, yeah. is, as from a, since you did patrol yeah. and from a patroller's perspective, it just baffles me sometimes when I do make it down to Mammoth. Yeah. They get their mountain open. Yeah. Like, what, what, what do you, what? What are they? What are they doing differently? I, it's a great question. Uh, I don't. Since I haven't worked at Mammoth and I, and I haven't worked at Squad in a long time, I, I I don't know what's different. I know there are a lot more patrollers at Mammoth. Yep. Um, and that terrain there is is wind loaded and it's huge and it's big. It's and massive. It's massive. Um, but I don't know what's different. Okay. You know, I just gotta get. That's my rant yeah. for the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can Mammoth get their stuff yeah. open. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Where, maybe d- different demographic skiing in. I don't, I don't know. I don't different mountain manager. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm sure they have issues of their own. I mean, I went down there, uh, and f- they finally at one a one p.m. got chair twenty three spinning mm-hmm. last week, and it was great. But yeah, I, if I was a mountain manager or and or a, a director of, of patrol there, I, I would definitely be conservative. You know, wait, yeah. making sure things are well and bombed and ready to go before I release public onto it. What, is, what are your thoughts mountains? on uh, the union unionization yeah, yeah, of the yeah, ski I saw patrol that one come Palisades? through this week. It's awesome. Yeah. I think it is, too. Yeah. I mean, that's a big reason why patrollers don't stay lifelong patrollers. It's, you know, when I left Sugar Bowl in 2011, I had six or seven plus years, and I think I was making $16 and a quarter. <laughs> And you're throwing bombs. And you're, you're throwing, throwing dynamite bombs around. And, That's yeah. insane. And, you know, and, and can you live in Tahoe making sixteen twenty-five an hour? No. 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 So I think it's great. I think it's a long time coming, and I, I think it's uh, paves the way for... Yeah, you think a lot of other yeah, operations are going to do that? I think they're going to have to. You know, I think, yeah. you know, having more spoken word for making sure that there's um, comparative living wage... Um, for patrollers to, to especially do. with patrollers with 10 years of experience yeah. 
Like that's that, and that's experience that you have to be on the mountain. You have to know where to place that shot. You have yeah. to know. You know, it, it takes years and years of experience patrolling, and it's that's a that's a hard job. You know, yeah. the winter of last year, I would have not wanted. It to doesn't patrol. look fun. No, it doesn't look fun. <laughs> you know, people are like, I'd love to be a patroller, and I'm like, I don't, dude, man, it's it's. I give them respect. That's a not an easy job. It's not. It's it's hard. Not a lot of sleep. You know, yeah. and it's the great thing I think. The, what I pulled away about patrolling is if I could go back, I would definitely do it two or three days a week, but that's it. Yeah. Cause yeah. Mm. you know, I didn't, I didn't like skiing when I was a patroller because right. you just like, I don't want to put my ski boots on on my days off. Yeah. You know, right. Like, right. I want to go and fillet on the beach and right. go surfing or, right. or whatever it was. So it kind of took the fun out of it, but there are folks out there that I've been doing a long time that, maintain the stoke and that's and they should get paid for that they should get paid for that for sure i mean uh, the uh, amount of money that that these corporations are, are yes, making yes yes they, thank they, you for saying that yeah it's 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 fist over dollars and it's it's taking the fun out of skiing and my i mean i love kt and to, to not be able to go there this year is was heartbreaking but i'm like man you, you got to pay your employees yeah. more yeah. Should we look and see if is KT open right now? No, no, no. <laughs> Should we go? I'm, I'm curious. Should we approach? I do. I, I, I do have my gear in the car. I was going to maybe. Do oh, I have four pairs skis. of skis. I started splitboarding this year too. So oh, I, did you? I, yeah, my first. I've got six days. I haven't snowboarded since uh, 2004. So okay. awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. Nice. We'll have to nice. get out and slash a few turns. God, it's it's like it. It's a whole new bubbly feeling for me of like, oh yeah, that's this cool. is such a good turn. This is so fun. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been enjoying splitboarding of just being out and being able to do. And are are, did you are you a hard booter? I bought soft boots. You got for the reason a lot of my access is on a snowmobile. Ah, that makes sense. So the big reason I did it was so I could wear soft boots, still ride a snowmobile, and not feel like my ankles are going to break, and be able to ride that sled with the soft boots. It's a lot easier than those hard boots. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the storm that's coming in right now, yeah. we're supposed to get this massive, massive amount of snow. I was seeing up to possibly 160 inches on the biggest ridges. Yeah. That's, that's the part of the height. In 48 forecast. hours. In 48 hours. No, like hours. 72. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it's 48. I, it's 48 hours. What, what, it's impressive. Um, what do people need to be kind of aware of or be thinking of when they step out into the snow come Sunday when all this ends? I mean, people need to be careful walking out of their houses if it actually comes to fruition. Yeah. You know, th- that amount of snow yeah. and that amount of time, there's everything's going to be avalanching. What, was, it, what was the term for roof avalanches, Kurt? Dachwina. Uh, uh, Oh, is that right? What language is that? German. I think oh. It's German. Okay. Yeah. There's going to be some of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a few of those. I mean, that that's, it's no joke. I mean, people, there was a guy killed or a kid killed in Kirkwood a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say. Sorry to interject. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of. I can't believe I remembered that. The, nice work. The amount of snow in that amount of time, there's like, there's no way for bonding to occur or, you know, it's just going to be. Yeah it's going to be, you can't even move. You can't even you go won't out. Even be able to move. I was yeah, just going to say, yeah. do you even think the skiing is going to be very good for the first few days no. after it? No. Anytime it's that, it's like, it's, it's just much. too deep. It's I've, too deep. I've experienced that. Deep. I, I, I experienced a day once where we went somewhere and, and put a lap in, in this kind of storm. Yeah. And it was, we were one and done. It was yeah. just like, too yeah, deep. it was just too, you couldn't even, Especially you, you almost snowboard. couldn't even move. 
Yeah, especially on one plank. Well, sledding, that's why, that's why I'm riding fun. a 178. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Snowmobiling could be fun, though, right? It could. Yeah, and I was in the flat areas. Yeah, I was beating myself up for not <laughs> grabbing it yesterday. I, I, I know. Yeah. And I, I texted Nick, and I was like, "You brought your sled, right?" He's like, "No." And I go, "Oh, oh. shit!" But by that point, like it had already melted, and to go back and it, it was just like logistic muddy nightmare to go get it from my house. <laughs> I was like, "I can't do it. I'm so tired." <laughs> so I'd like to throw one thing in here on on this storm especially since we're creeping into march yeah and that we're having this much snow in this cycle with this much wind and my worst accident ever personally that was my fault was a cornice failure and i see that this when this cycle all ends there is going to be a massive cornice danger all through the sierras yeah yeah. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we, you sometimes forget about that one, but like, you know, that's going to be something that people need to be heads up on going through March Yeah, absolutely. is, is that we have this sort of set up snowpack yeah. now that's not going anywhere. Right. And then you have this huge load, yeah. particularly cornice load yeah. on hanging off of it. Well, that's another thing to say with, with this storm, you know, I saw up associated 150 mile an hour winds yeah. on our ridgetops. And, and what do you get when you get that much snow and, and that much wind? You oh, get massive cornice, massive cornice yeah. that's and, now hanging off. Right. And you know, the big danger with cornices is late season. You know, we start getting into springtime and more and w- sun more exposure, warms. more radiation. Yep. yep. And those cornices start failing. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Oh, really? My, my experience, I'll share it, was we had skied the north face of Donner Peak on a late day in March. And that was a really good run. Pow. Great skiing. Mm-hmm. And when we finished, we then thought it'd be a great idea to just bounce over and go ski Blackwall. Oh, wow. And Blackwall faces east. Yeah. And had a massive cornice on it. Yeah. And everyone skied safely, and I was the last person, and I thought I was going to get into a little different entrance and completely didn't know where I was yeah. on the feature, and took a fall. Wow. Basically broke the cornice and fell basically a pitch. Wow. I'd say it was a pitch. It yeah. was 80 to 100 feet Oof. with all of the giant pieces of snow. That's scary. And basically did one of these. Really? Walked away? Like walked away. Lost my board. Yeah. Like Lock, how, how do you, oh, cause you weren't strapped in. I yet. wasn't strapped in. Oh, I was, I wasn't strapped in, oh, was wow. not strapped in. Yeah. And, uh, took that fall and uh, my, my crew was just like, they saw it wide eyed. Yeah. I've never seen eyes so wide. Yeah. And, uh, I got really lucky and learned the cornice lesson and, uh, lost my board. And I went back two days later and found it hey, you did. and it was broken. Uh, <laughs> That's, did not survive. That that tells you something. Do you yeah, think it would have been worse had you been strapped in? Probably. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I just kind of like was able to you know bounce off all of the snow around me and yeah. sort of fell right down the face of black of black wall, and uh, it, yeah, I was a kook. Yeah. And uh, and fell off black wall, and and ever since then I've been super <laughs> wary of cornices, yeah. especially in the springtime after big snow, as you should be. Yeah. Scorn, all the time. Cornices scare me. I've had multiple experiences with bombs on my back in backpacks. And, oh wow! And not being able to see and just like breaking a corner, fall, yeah. falling off, yeah. falling oh, off a corner. Because I mean, patrolling, hmm. you know, sugar bowl patrol, just like being out and falling through. But they're they're dangerous. So and I'll, and I also share then too that you know that that experience was in the early two thousands. I think it was two thousand four or five. That big winter, and you know the one thing that I that I learned too from that lesson was that we didn't have radios. 
and uh, ra radios would have helped in that in that situation because I think that my crew would have talked me away from where I was thinking I was yeah. going. Hey, stop! Yeah, no, stop. Go go fifty feet to the left, and you'll find what you're looking for. Yeah, better uh, better entrance. Yeah, but yeah, we're we're all kooks, and that that's my one kook cornice story. And so that's that's my heads up to all the listeners going through March right now is that the cornices will be real with this one. Yeah, I think this for snowpack, a while. The snowpack in general is. It's get, we're going to hit a, uh, a breaking point for sure. If there's, cause I just dug a pit, you know, the other day for my job and there's still basal facets. There's still a weak layer at the bottom of our snowpack on North facing high elevation slopes. Do you think that that could go in the, I, it'll, the, it'll be interesting to see if this huge, huge amount of load is enough to, to rip things to the ground. Um, we'll, Jeez, we'll see. That'd be crazy. I mean, it, it's going to be a lot of weight, a lot of sweet, right. You know, soft over 10 inches to 16 inches of sweet. Yep. I don't know if that's even accurate. Sweet? Uh, snow water, equivalent. snow water equivalent, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, that's, that's, I like, let's talk about that a little bit. And I also want to talk about the difference between from your standpoint as a forecaster and, and someone who has your feet in the snow so much, like what's the difference between the snow ratios of some of it being 10 to one and 12 to one to being like 16 to one. You know, because this storm, we're going to see both. We're right. right now. It's like, like I like to say, and we like to say, it's coming in right side up. It's yeah. a little bit warmer, yeah. and you're going to have a little bit of a denser, wetter storm slab, yeah. which presents its own set of issues. And then you have later in the storm, we're going to get two it's, feet of it's dropping blower pow yeah. over the top that is just going to run like crazy. Yeah. Well, I love the terminology right side up or upside down, and and like you said. It is coming in right side up. Mm -hmm. You know, it was raining this morning. It's warmer. It was more slushy. And then as the storm goes on, temperatures are predicted to drop. And that looks, that's how we want it. Um, but as far as sweet amounts and kind of getting into the weeds with that, it's like the cold, obviously the colder the temperature with amount of sweet, the more snow you're going to get, the lighter the snow is going to get. Um but in general, yeah, I mean, snow water equivalent, we get a lot of it here in the Sierra, you know, mm -hmm. 2011, 2017, 20, February 20, uh, 2019, those are years that were just our sweet, our, the water equivalent was off the charts. Um, and that's when, that's what the maritime snowpack is all about. Just huge Pacific low pressures pounding the, pounding our zone and, and getting a uh, heavier snow. Um, mm -hmm. that, you know, our Sierra cement as it's been called. So I, I've lived through some of those and it's, yeah. what I find interesting is that some of those cycles, it's, it's the, it seems okay yeah. with 10 inches of yeah. water coming in and right. other ones, it's not. It's all about temperature. That's associated. That's with the big, that's the, that's the that's big the variable changing factor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we like this storm, if you get a good Arctic air mass associated, right, this storm, if you saw the the models, it's, it basically is coming down from the Barents Sea and the Aleutians and coming from the northern Pacific and mm -hmm. moving its way down. You know, the ARs. Hallelujah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> with the amount of precip that's coming, you know, but back in the day, what they called the Pineapple Express or now have re been labeled as atmospheric rivers, you know, a lot of those come from more of the southern Pacific or the central Pacific and move their way inward. That's when you get, that's when your sweet is bad, right? You get a ton of precip, but it's the temperature, the cold temperature is not associated with it. So fortunately it's all lining up on this storm. I, I'm still skeptical 
on just because you know, they of, were going to get 160 inches. <laughs> I, I just, you know, this year of, of the, the track record of what's going on in, the, in our climate this year, what's, yeah. you know, the kind of the overall median of, of our storms this year, it just hasn't produced. Yeah. So I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'm so, hopeful fingers are crossed. I'm not, it's, I'm not being a hater. I'm just, it's, it's noon on Thursday yeah. and so far we've gotten an inch. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, so it, and we'll I think see it, where it, it was supposed to stay. I think, you know, the majority of it is coming in between tonight and tomorrow uh, in the early hours. They said Friday night into Saturday is when it's going to really Exactly. Hit. The forty-eight, yeah. the big 48 hours is, is Friday to Sunday. Yeah. Um, so today is just kind of a precursor, but yeah, it's it's jumped around a lot. Numbers have jumped around a lot. Yeah. And I'll be thoroughly impressed if we get the upper I echelon. Can't, I can't wait to see five inches an hour. I love that. <laughs> That's insane. I mean, we've seen that before. Yeah. yeah, there was a storm last year that definitely was producing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, 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 my thing is, we've we've lived in the Sierra a long time. You know, I've lived in the Sierra since 1980. You know, and and at 5,400 feet was the elevation I was raised. But th- this is how the storms come in. You know, yeah. it's, they're wet and they're yeah. big, and the hype that's going along with this one is like, yeah. Yes, this might be a. Di- you might everything, lo- everything is lining up. You might lose of, power. The, pl- the plume of moisture, but in general, it's. I feel like the hype on it is to either scare people, scare people, yeah. or to let them know that they don't come to Tahoe. Don't leave your Tesla. Don't drive your <laughs> your three inch Tesla and in untahoed yeah. honor. Yeah, you know, or, or whatever it's going to be, because with city slick tires on it, because it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, it's going to getting in the way of traffic this week i i had one friend supposed to come up from santa barbara with his kids to ski and and he stopped bailed bailed. yeah Yeah. and then my brother who's here uh he was gonna he sent me a text earlier in the week about he asked me if i could pick him up at the reno airport on friday or saturday night new (laughs) (laughs) and i sent a a a text back that said, I think you should read the weather forecast and call me back. Yeah. Yeah. And his wife's as his wife uh, graciously uh, then got involved and told him, uh, as she said, you got to check the temperature. Yeah. Which I I thought was very appropriate. It is Like like the, the people coming to Tahoe sometimes need to check their temperature of what's going on. Yeah. Like their internal temperature. Yeah. Or just the temperature of the situation. Yeah. You know, is would, this is, would you check it orally or rectally? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stick a thermometer up your ass. I think <laughs> you first, you check it orally. And then if you get stuck on 80 in your Tesla and you run out of power, that's when it goes rectally. That reminds Stick me of a, a thermometer that reminds me of a joke. <laughs> Let's hear it. EMS joke. Uh, do you know how to tell the difference between a oral thermometer and a rectal thermometer? No. <laughs> the rectal thermometer tastes like shit. <laughs> Oh, dad jokes. We're, we're, we've divulged into dad jokes. <laughs> I love it. That's a good uh, one. That's good. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Well, Nick, we got to bring this one to a close, but yeah. um, it's been super insightful. Uh, and at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests, mind the track. When you hear mind the track, what do you think of? Mm. Well, I'll say thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, good to connect with you guys. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Uh, um, you can buy some more time. You can keep giving us accolades while you think about it. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I don't make it up here as much as I used to. And uh, yeah. it's nice to be up. It's nice to be in Tahoe Donner and in this area. Um, mind the track. You know, I'm, initially now it's, it's, you know, I think of you too. 
both of you guys uh, on my Instagram feed. Um, but in the bigger picture, you know, it's it comes back to that that ethos or that you know having a a good not just a good attitude but a, a mindful attitude of not being. I mean, I could go deep in this, but uh, not being oblivious, right? Not being oblivious to other users, whether you're on a skin track or um, a trail or wherever you are in life. It's like mind the track, mind the other people around you and mind the other users to not be selfish. And, you know, just getting back to like, don't park like an asshole and, um, you know, don't be, don't be that way on the trail. And, you know, one thing that I see a lot not just in the mountain biking world or on the skin track or wherever it is. It's just say hi to, if you see somebody out doing fun stuff, say hi to them, you know, be, be friendly, wave. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of attitudes out there these days and, and I'm not innocent of that either. I, you know, friends that have known me for for a long time know that I, I, you know, I've got, uh, I can, be angry Nick guy. Um, but I think just the message that I like spreading these days is just remember why we're out there. Um, you know, life is short and we're on, you know, we're here for a short amount of time and, and, uh, enjoy what you're doing and, and try to make a positive impression, um, out there. And, and people will remember you and, and want to be your partner and want to go out and the, enjoy those times uh, with you. So I think that that's my spiel on what the mind the track is and be a, be a good patron of, of the, of the back country and the front country and all the country in between. Amen. Beautiful. Nice. Where can people find you, Nick? Um, we, you mentioned Bridgeport avalanche center.org go yeah. there, check, Check out Bridgeport Avalanche Center. Donate if you feel that you could benefit from the information, especially if you use it. Where where else can people find you? Uh, Bliss Wilderness on Instagram, blisswilderness.com uh, are both good places to check out. Cool. Um, you can email me is the best kind of way to get in touch. Um, though, you know, just trying to manage all the irons in the fire. It might take a while for me to get back to you, but... Instagram's a good place to send a direct message. Um, if you want to take a course, you know, that's a good place to do it. This time of year, I'm, I'm definitely very deep into the forecasting world. But mm-hmm. yeah, Bridgeport Do you mainly f- focus on courses at the beginning and end of the season then? or Yeah, usually uh, shoulder seasons. Yeah. Um, I work as a um, fire paramedic in the summertime um, doing rescue and on wildland fires okay. um, for a couple of different companies in the summertime and that's usually like July to September, but it depends on the fire season. Um, and then, you know, May, June, July, uh, October, November, September, October, November. Those are my shoulder seasons that I'm, that I'm putting out classes. Cool. Yeah. And give a shout out for all the classes that you're doing level one, level twos. And it sounds like you've also put together a program for sort of filming crews. Which yeah, I think I, when you said mentioned yeah. that, I was stoked to hear that. Yeah, just you know, for folks, That's huge. I've, I've I've worked for you know, been hired with um, Jeremy producing mm-hmm. some snowboard flicks, kind of being a Sherpa slash uh, another avalanche voice out there, um, giving beta and, and kind of 
run in safety, I think is the best, w- best term, mm-hmm. you know, given, given beta and on the snow conditions. And then with my EMS background, being able to respond and, and do rescue if, if something goes awry, cool. which, which it does, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Right on Nick. Well, thanks again, man. It's yeah. been an yeah, awesome thanks for chat. On. Super insightful. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. It's nice to, nice to hang. You bet. Well, thanks everyone for listening to episode number 32 of Mind the Track with our guest, Nick Bliss. And until next time, get out there, get deep, and put your mind in the track. Mountain.